0: Two, one, two, three, four. Hey y'all, this is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch. And this is episode 9 of season 2. Today I walked around the property and was fairly sad. I have an over 200 year old water oak and they're not supposed to live quite as long as this one has lived. And this particular oak has meant a lot to this family, a lot to my tribe. But the old man was done and we had an opportunity to get it limbed. At first, the fellas looked at it and they were pretty sure they were going to have to cut the whole tree down. And quite honestly, eventually they will. I remember back when my tribe was a little bit bigger and it took about eight of us holding hands with all of our arms extended around this big, massive oak just to hug it. It's been fairly critical to the magic here. So as the Widowmakers started to fall and... The mushrooms started to grow on the roots, not the good kind, the kind that mean impending death. It was difficult for all of us. So when a bunch of Bubba showed up out here, they at first wanted to cut him to the ground, and I asked them to, well, my husband asked them to slow their roll a little bit and get to know this tree. They talked about things like new growth and how long it probably had on this planet. In the end, they refused to kill it. They left a few little arms that are coming off of him, and our yard is covered up in the most monumental limbs and uh, arms and parts of trunks. But the old guy got a reprieve for the rest of the year, and I feel like it really is, uh well, it would be redundant because I know he's going to die. But it gives us more time, I think, to say goodbye and more time to honor this tree's life that has given us so much joy. I don't know exactly how high this tree is, but I do know that young man was 45 feet up in the air when he was doing his trimming. And I do know that its arms reached across the entirety of my backyard. I guess when we're saying goodbye to something, I don't know, sometimes it needs to go a little bit slow. We intend to make a couple of stabs out of it, hopefully a little bit of furniture, maybe even another altar, but the whole process really does have me thinking about myself as a tree. (laughs) You know, I'm a grandma now, and I'm getting older, and my back hurts, and I'm not old old, but I'm healing that age coming on and I have wonderful boys that I birthed and raised, but I also have two wonderful students that I've had in my tribe, coven, whatever you want to call it, for about 10 years apiece, and these two kids matter so much to me. Well, they're not kids, (laughs) but I'm 55, so they're kids to me, and I knew them when they were young, and they're treating me so well right now. They're working on doing everything from helping me with a mushroom farm to building me a new computer. These are the most delightful human beings. And I argue with them and I say don't spend money on me and and don't worry about that. And, well, I guess I taught them to, well, they argue back and they say, no, you gave us all this beautiful time of your life and have always been there for us, so you will shut the fuck up. And do what we say when it comes to us spending money on you and taking care of you. um, Boy, I have to tell you, as the caretaker, uh, or whatever word you want to use, the caretaker, the grandmère, the the matriarch, it is really hard to sit down and let these babies who are no longer babies take care of me a little bit. And so when I look at this oak and, and I see that there's still life in it, I hear what these beautiful babies tell me and they're saying things like there's still time you still have more to give it's not over yet and I'm looking out my window right now while I podcast and I can see one of the younger arms I reckon coming off this water oak leaning out over my yard that they decided to leave and while they are correct those tree men this oak is definitely done I suppose they were all so right that it wasn't quite ready. It had a few more things to do. One of the fellows was cutting down the top of that trunk, one of the widow makers, they call him, really rotten piece that was coming off the top. And a squirrel popped out while he was using that chainsaw. He said he almost got him. So he left a piece of that rotten wood because it is winter, even though the South is not quite clear on that. And I think we all know that whatever that store is for that squirrel, and it's a southern squirrel, we need to remember that too, right? It's used to, is going to be hard to acclimate to if suddenly it's 28 degrees at night. So he left it, and he left that store of nuts up there in that little hole. And it made me think. I mean, it's all just making me think, you know. I have a store. I hope I get to use it up. But I'm not ready to go either. I'm not that old yet. And honestly, at this point in my life, it's the most exciting part. It's no longer what do I want to be when I grow up. Now it's more building on my own limbs and seeing what life I can continue to support while I'm still here. And that's kind of exciting. You know, what am I worth as a tree? What still matters that I can help? that I can grow. I think one of the most brave things we can do is to age. And I know we all have to age, but I reckon it's difficult for some of us. And I still feel like Peter Pan. I I still feel so alive and young. And um, my body has other ideas about that. Years ago, I wrote a blog post, which I I know I need to do more of, but I don't have time, honey bunnies. I don't have any time for that. But I did write one on Driftwood, and I looked back on that last year and decided to revamp it, develop it, dig in a little bit, and I sent it off to publication to a journal, and they accepted it. So I'm really excited about that, but that's under my government name, so I can't share with you what that is. I can share with you that there were things about driftwood I didn't know. There were things about the way it provides life after the tree falls into the ocean, into water, that I had no idea of. It's almost a critical part of life and death for a forest or, well, for any tree. And not every tree gets to be driftwood. You know, some of it ends up as fodder for the ground. Some of it ends up as furniture. Some of it ends up as firewood. So only, in my estimation, the luckiest trees get to be driftwood. Uh, Do y'all know about driftwood? Have you researched it? Have you dug in and really looked at what kind of life it provides? You know, I think I wrote something about how I felt empathetic for that tree when it fell into the water, into the ravaging water, you know, with all of her or his kin, whatever you want to say a tree is, standing watching that last fall, knowing that it would be taken off into, well, into the mystic, a drift for who knows how long, but to be true driftwood, it has to come back to that shore, and it has to give life back to the earth. And in that could be tiny fishes, crabs, all kinds of beautiful eggs, uh, the little beings that lay their eggs there. And sometimes just a thing of beauty up against a sunset. It's absolutely amazing. And eventually that driftwood will break down and become food for something else. But it's a second chance at life, that driftwood, whether or not it has roots anymore. Whether or not sap is pulsing through its, well, let's call it veins, right? The vascular system. It has become life again for something else. And I don't think everything should become driftwood. I don't think we all should get that privilege. I think it's only if we have worked very hard to be relevant, to be useful. Whether that be in the way of loving something giving to some kind of cause, saving trees, whatever it may be. And so at the end of the day, I think I wrote about how I endeavor to be Driftwood. I may never be able to be it, you know, hypothetically speaking, but I think that there's honor in attempting to become it. It makes my life better. It makes who I am as a person, as a witch, as a beating, thumping soul on this planet to attempt an afterlife that is that useful. And you know, y'all, for years I've been trying to tell my students or my children or I guess even my friends, this idea I have that we shouldn't be so focused on a good life, but more focused on a good death. Because if we are focused on a good death, it kind of means that the life will be good. It means that you have left these beautiful places in the soil. You've left a a magical imprint of yourself somewhere attempting to have that good death. And I reckon that sounds kind of morbid. It doesn't feel morbid the way I understand it in my heart. It actually feels hopeful this reincarnation is something else. And... That reincarnation is something else, and I don't mean it the way you might think I mean it. Oh, I hope for that too, but I mean more my memory, or the things I've left behind are still doing something magical when I'm gone. And if that is what I am constantly focused upon, if that is the purpose of me living, then my death can become something of an afterlife here, here. And I don't find that morbid at all. I find that beautiful. I think a lot of beings do this kind of work. You know, years ago, I I did a podcast on my dog, Gatsby. Um, Go find that. I don't know what episode that was. It was season one. It was a long time ago. And Gatsby, I'm sure, didn't start off in his life thinking, I want to do all this wonderful work and have a great death. Dogs are too sweet for that kind of um, hmm, egotistical sort of endeavor. And I don't mind admitting that there's a little ego here. You know, I mean, we have them. But what Gatsby was able to do was change my thinking about dogs in particular. And because of him, dozens of dogs I've saved. Dozens of opportunities for love I have claimed. And, you know, he he resides now under this beautiful stone monument that we've built by hand. Well, no, we have not. My son has. A little place for a candle to burn and a place to remember him and feel his energy in whatever form it still takes, underneath a gorgeous mulberry tree. To me, that is a wonderful afterlife. He is the reason that we've rescued dogs. He is the reason that we learned that we need to give more than we receive. He is the reason, I still believe in my heart, that I became a better person. So that's a useful afterlife, isn't it? And if that is what we were all focused on, is what will our afterlife be, it would appear like we would win that by default. You know, I I think I've told you that I've gone through my croning, well, I disagree with folks who say you've gone through it, you're done. I think you enter croning and then you continue to crone for the rest of your natural life. So that is the stage that I'm in. And from this place, I look back at things I used to think mattered. I used to think it mattered if someone said something untruthful about me. I used to think that it mattered to fight battles, and, oh God, when I was younger, witch wars. Oh my God, nothing could be more useless to your spirit, to your magic, to your health, than a witch war. If you find yourself in one, close that door. Walk away. You know, do what you have to do. Assure that your family and yourself are safe. crying out loud. Do not lose your soul there. Do not lose precious time with the people you love in this gorgeous world in a witch war. You know, you may be right, but do you want to be right at that cost? There are very few things I want to take back about my life. Very few, because I believe it builds us to a certain place. And um, even the time I spent in that horrible valley of the shadow of death, because that is what it was. Even though that was a building block for me, in many ways, I'm glad that I can't change that past because I think I would. I think I would. So much of my life lost. So many years. That mattered not to anything that was important to me. I mean, even now that it's been over for years and years... I would give anything to have, well no I wouldn't be careful what you say, but I would give quite a lot to have those years back and spend it with good decent people and developing myself and being happy as opposed to whatever the hell that was. And you don't have to be a crone and you don't have to be close to being a crone to take that lesson, to take it right now. And it's not really the high road. Oh, no, it's not even altruistic to walk away from a a witch war. In fact, it is really about you. All of your energy must go into that war. All of it. Everything that you've ever loved will become completely vulnerable to that war. And there will be, oh, honey, there will be casualties So listen to an old crone about that. That's a lesson I'm sure of. I don't know why we do it. Is it pride? Do we want to set the record straight? Is it deep, unabiding rage? And we just have to make our point known to the world, to the universe. I have no idea, but I will tell you that I have not wasted my time in such excess and such abandon. And in such a blasphemous manner than I did in a witch war. Ridiculous. And so antithetical to the magical sense of being of who we are. Sister, please, I am not an angel. So it's not coming from some sort of holier-than-thou place. It is looking back on waste and ruin. And time I cannot get back. But I could have been, I don't know, sustaining a squirrel with a little nest, <laughs> you know? making art, cooking something, having sex with abandon, tasting chocolate, God damn. anything, but wasting it on that human being or those human beings. And I can never get it back. So if you're hearing the sound of my voice, I deeply plead with you at the onset of one of those things. And if you've been a witch for a while, you know what I mean. And if you haven't been one and you're listening, because I I do realize I have non-witch listeners. I hear your call and I read your emails and I do know you're out there. A witch war is basically someone has in your life attempted to thwart everything you love and take away everything that ever mattered to you and destroy your name and... I I don't know, lord their power over you in some fashion. That's, you know, similar to anything you've ever seen in, I don't know, a Mean Girls kind of movie. But it happens in lots of places. It happens in offices. It happens in families. It happens in divorce. It is so demeaning to our souls to respond. It is so demeaning. And it's so antithetical to everything in our bodies to not respond. And in that case, all I could ever tell you, be a tree. When we hacked at this tree, a shoot started. New life attempted to grow there. It didn't try to hit us back. Of course, I'm not Gandhi about this. Sometimes you have to defend yourself. Sometimes it has to be legal. Sometimes it has to be a quick statement. I mean the complete enveloping of all of your energy into this thing, which we are akin to doing. That is something we tend to do. Defend where you have to make your stand where you need to. And then close the door. Close the goddamn door. And don't allow anything else past that door. I mean, honey, if they're going to talk about you, they're going to talk about you. Let them say that you seem to be happy. (laughs) or let them say that you seem to be at least content. But don't let them say that you're still miserable and slinging shit into the world. It's uh, one of my biggest mistakes, and not one I intend to ever repeat. Y'all, I really do need to start doing notes for my podcast because sometimes I just go off on a tangent and have no idea that I was going to land there, and here we are. Isn't that awkward? But I will say, to my knowledge, um. And you know, we never know for sure. But to my knowledge, I am no longer in any kind of war with anyone. I made peace with who I could, laid down the axe with who I couldn't, walked away. And what that does cause is a complete and utter focus on my own life, which is where my damn head needs to be anyway if I'm going to have a good death. You remember what we talked about, right? So suddenly it's all about me. And that sounds so narcissistic, but it's not meant to be. It means I've got shit to work on. I have work to do. I have deep issues and deep shadow work that I still need to do. I want to get it as right as I can before I'm gone. And speaking as a crone, a young one, but definitely a crone, I do believe that I have slowed down my propensity to make new friends. I don't know for sure that that's a good thing. It doesn't mean that I'm not open to the idea. It does mean that I'm careful about that idea. You know, the less time we have on the planet, the more, I guess, careful we are or exacting we are about who we're spending that time with. And who I don't want to spend that time with is anyone who's manipulative, anyone who's trying to compete with me constantly. It's exhausting. Um, anyone who would ever lie to me, I mean, just go on, just go, you know, just, just go fuck off. I do not have time for the lies. Anyone who's trying to actually use me, I mean, we all get something. There's a given exchange in life, but... Their whole reason for trying to befriend me means a use of some sort. You know, again, girl, don't go away mad. Girl, just go away. I am so exhausted with that. I spent my time in those shadows. I don't need any more. And what that means is I'm, I'm discerning about who gets to come into my life. When occasionally I'll see some bright little shining person and say, hey, I like your sparkle. Come here and I get a new friend. But on that note, I do think as we get older, lessons from a crone again, I think we need to kind of set boundaries early. I think we tend not to do that in our 20s and 30s. Regretfully, I didn't do it in my early 40s. <laughs> Slow learner on that. We see a friendship developing. We see something deep going on. Why not have that conversation? You know, What are, what are deal breakers in our lives? What are they? I know at my age exactly what those deal breakers are. Why wouldn't I say them? Gently, maybe even with a little bit of humor, but those are deal breakers and I'm just too tired and I have not enough life left to waste on interlopers. I don't know what you think about that, but I would sit down, I know I have, and write out what my deal breakers are high standards for friends. We only think about it for life partners. But in a lot of ways, friends are our life partners, aren't they? I think they are. And they stick around sometimes longer. (laughs) And definitely, it's a deep and abiding friendship. So why wouldn't we make those deal breakers? Or let's not call them those. Why wouldn't we discuss our boundaries early, maybe even often, if they come back up? It really is a healthy way to dive into a friendship. I have lost my ground here. What are we even talking about, y'all? Well, I think we were talking about being trees. And when I think about my oak, because we're going back to it, I think about that tire swing I saw on it when we arrived, gosh, almost uh, 10 years ago out here on this little micro farm and It held lots of babies and uh, folks swung on it. It was really pretty in pictures late at night and, well, especially during the sunset. It just was gorgeous and it broke that arm right off. Over time, it could not handle it and it broke it. And I don't think even for one second that oak tree regretted that. You know, people abused it all the time, but for a while there it brought joy. That tree has been working on a good death for hundreds of years. And I don't know if y'all believe in this sort of thing, so if you don't, just skip over it. But the first time I ever actually saw evidence of the Fae, it was underneath that tree. Now, since the tree has started to die, we did not see that evidence anymore. The light kind of went out of the tree for a while. I think even the tree was thinking yeah, it's about time to go. But after we had him limbed and what was left was green, I was walking out there about sunset, which is coming way too early these days. Y'all know I hate winter. And as I was walking a dog back, I saw tiny lights dancing underneath it. I think it was about 38 degrees out, so I'm fairly sure it wasn't fireflies or do y'all call them lightning bugs? That's what I call them. And I thought, They're coming back for that tree. They're coming back so they can be there when he goes, when he passes, and they get what we were trying to do. So it's, I guess, not impossible (laughs) for even us old folks to still have a little bit of life left in us and to still be magical and to still be useful. All right, I think I've waxed on about that a little bit too long. Let's see how to close Y'all want to know what I ate for breakfast because I know that sounds weird, but y'all got to try it. It's so good. Let's talk about that. So, I had a sourdough loaf and I cut it all up and I toasted it. And when I pulled it out, I lightly buttered it, not too heavy. And then I just a smear of good cream cheese and then avocado slices and roasted tomatoes and a little salt and pepper. Best damn thing you ever put in your mouth, honey. And the best way to roast those tomatoes, let's talk about that. It doesn't matter what size they are, but I will say that you know the cherry globes and even smaller your little grape tomatoes, those are best for what I'm about to talk about. So you take you a cast-iron skillet, and you throw your maters up in there all the way, one level, and then you drizzle with olive oil and some salt and some pepper. And then just, here's the secret to southern cooking, just take your fingers and go down into that sugar bowl and pick up a pinch and just kind of let that snow over the top of that and then stir it all around. You might want to add a little garlic powder, I do, and then shove it in your oven and let it roast till those tomatoes just sort of give way and they kind of get a little brown on the top. Those are delightful honey bunnies. You want to try that. Anyway, and I also have eggs from the chickens, and on the side, this is the best damn thing I've ever had. Well, lately, anyway. And tonight, we're taking down our tree, and I think that's always, like, a sad day, and making room for whatever this year's gonna bring. Oh, I gotta go get my booster. That's already up for me. It's my fourth booster, or whatever, my fourth shot. Not looking forward to that. Lays me out but I got to do it because I want to stay alive and science. I love science and I'm trusting my life in it right now. And then tomorrow night's date night, we go on a date the 6th of every month and he makes it happen out in the woods somewhere, someplace safe, someplace warm. And I always throw a fit because I don't like leaving my house and he always insists and I'm always glad I went. (laughs) It's like How some people feel about church, I reckon. But I also reckon it's the way to keep a marriage alive or a friendship alive. I don't think there's a lot of difference except maybe the sex. And even then, uh, some friends have sex. I think we should keep it wonderful and magical and spend time with it. And give as much as we can of our lives to it. Because, hey, what else really matters but family and friends? And that's where real magic happens. Well, that in the woods. And speaking of the woods, I've had quite a lot of emails in the last week, and I'm so happy to hear from y'all. You have no idea what it means to me. It's so wonderful to open up my Gmail and see all of you over there. And if you don't tell me I can read it on the air, I won't read it. That being stated, I have a friend named Sarah. I'm only going to say Sarah. And she's uh, in Western North Carolina and she's amazing, and she wanted to know about forest magic, because that's where she goes to hike and to think, and I wanted to speak to Sarah. Hey, Sarah, honey bunny. So, you asked me about forest magic, and I really wish I could give you this sparkly, wonderful answer, but instead, I'm going to tell you the truth. It already has it. Um, A forest that is already healthy is already magic, So, how to create it, um, I would actually suggest not attempting that. Now, hear me out. I'm not telling you not to cast in there. I'm not telling you not to commune in there, not to abide. I'm saying, why don't we, for fun and shits and giggles, not try to create it, but rather tap in to that magic. There are lots of ways to do that. Many, many, many but one of the best ways in the entire world that I know of is to get still. Now, you already walk through, and that's wonderful, and I do that too, but getting really, really still. Maybe find something you can sit on that's safe and deeply grounding yourself and really feeling what is around you and seeing, or rather, opening yourself up to whatever is already there And if we're thinking about protection magic, because yeah, there are oogie boogies everywhere, you know, have your talisman or something that makes you feel safe already in place. I would highly advise against lighting candles because, well, forest fires are not fun. And I would bring something of a sacrifice, if at all possible. And that's the other thing. Find the path that's really speaking to you and possibly what I like to call a sponsor tree. Now, What I mean by that, I've never read about it anywhere else, so it's just something weird I do. A sponsor tree is one who's willing to speak for you to the trees, you know, and to the woods and to the forest. If a tree speaks to you, it might speak for you and allow you to be present and part of something, especially if you have a no harm feeling to you. And then honor that tree. Um, I, I don't know what the scientist would say on this and I'll do some research on this and that that is important to do that research and make sure we're being very good stewards of everything we do. But one of the things I would consider doing is bringing mushrooms spawn with me, something that would be delightful in that area, not something that would not go with that area and just dusting a little bit of it right there as a thank you. Mycelium works wonders with trees and there is so much research out there. So go find what would work in your area for that wood. Also try to identify that tree. You know, that's the least we can do is what is this tree? Care about it long enough to try to identify that species. And I don't know, Some trees like lion's mane, some trees like chicken of the woods, and you can buy that online and you can take it to the forest with you and give a little love. I would also highly suggest we don't leave anything behind. There's the whole idea of leave no trace, but well, I guess what I'm talking about is that other concept. It's first leave no trace, but leave it better than you found it, if at all possible. So, Um, One of the most honoring things you can do is walk through and look and see if there's any trash or, you know, waste product laying around. Gather that up and say a few words to the trees as you walk. Ask them what they want to tell you. Ask them if you're allowed to be one of their friends. So that's how I would start. I think it's a slow, organic process, and I don't think there's a lot of bells and whistles, but that would be what I would do for a little forest magic. Also, oh, wait, one more thing. They love music. You know, not that tin can kind of crap that we would get off an the iPhone. They hate technology. But walking through and humming or singing a really pretty song that you only sing when you walk down that pathway that's awesome. That's rhythm and vibration and love. And it kind of becomes the way you commune with them and they understand and remember you. So that's what I would do for some forest magic. Let me know how that goes and email me back. I would love to find out how it went. All right, y'all, I've gone a little long and I'm losing my voice, so I'm going to go keep writing. And when you do write, let me know if I'm allowed to read it on air. Can't do it unless you tell me. I'm way too protective of your identity, too. See you next time. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.